electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Tonight on this CNBC special hour of Crypto Night in America, market surging, S&P having its best day since June 2020, and Bitcoin followed today, the president announcing an executive order calling on the government to examine the risks and the benefits of crypto. Could the decision call crypto's neutrality into question? Tonight, we'll examine the move and the potential fallout. Just ahead, we'll go straight to the White House to hear from Biden's key advisor on crypto. Plus, FTX's Sam Bankman-Fried reacts to the news. And as the conflict in Russia escalates, one Ukrainian founder working to build a bridge between the cryptosphere and the Ukrainian resistance. Welcome, everyone, to the CNBC special Crypto Night in America. I'm Carl Quintanilla. Jim Cramer is off tonight. Let's get to right at one of the big headlines of the day. The White House taking bold steps when it comes to crypto. The president issuing that order, calling on the government to examine the risks and the benefits. Let's bring in Ann Newberger, Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technology. Ann, really appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Carl, for having me. One of the things that was instantly noticed about the order was the emphasis on innovation and maintaining U.S. leadership in global finance, and then some discussion of the risks and protecting investors, protecting markets, protecting financial stability. Was that, that I imagine that's not a coincidence. Carl, that's so well put. That, that was exactly the purpose of the president's executive order. It was intended to promote innovation in the digital asset space while balancing the benefits and the risks. And it really did that in three ways. First, it provides an overall framework to bring together various elements of the U.S. government, their expertise and their authorities in a holistic way. Second, it authorizes and asks for a study on a potential central bank digital currency, the U.S. government issuing its own currency. And then, if that is deemed to be valuable, lays in place the design of how that would be done. And finally, it puts an approach to managing the risks. You noted a, a couple of them, illicit finance, concern with anti-money laundering as well. So it really does seek in some to balance both the benefits, the innovation, and also the potential downsides. It's difficult to separate uh, the timing of the order from what's happened in over the past two weeks in, in Russia and Ukraine. How much has that sharpened the focus? And was any of this brought forward because of concerns that crypto is evolving into some kind of potent tool for Russian interests? The executive order has been uh, underway. A lot of work has gone into it over the last number of months. 
So the timing was really the result of that work coming to a conclusion. However, your question is a good one because we have seen cryptocurrency can be used in sanctions evasion. We don't believe it's a viable workaround for the particular sanctions that have, put in, that have been put in place in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, particularly the sanctions put in place on the central bank. However, there are there have been use of cryptocurrency for various illicit purposes, and that's one of the reasons why we not only um, mention that in the executive order, but that's why the U.S. government has been working on countering illicit use of cryptocurrency, particularly in the ransomware context, with countries around the world over the last number of months. The industry, of course, uh, was heartened by the language of the order. Uh, they've been looking for some regulatory clarity over the past few uh, quarters and years. And they, they, I think the Washington Post quoted one VC founder as calling this a breakthrough. I wonder, do you think it, it all clashes with the language or the color that we've gotten from, say, the SEC? Uh, and do you think that their, their tone might change as a result of this? So well-designed regulation gives confidence in an ecosystem. It lets individuals see that we can have the benefits of the innovation while managing the risk. So we certainly fits, we certainly see it fitting within that tone, while also, as I noted, pulling the various parties in the U.S. government into one holistic framework. So we're approaching the innovation and the risks in a considered way. Finally, um, I wonder, you mentioned it hasn't become uh, a major concern, or I guess it hasn't evolved into a major tool for Ru the Russians in working around some of the economic sanctions. Is that for lack of trying, or is it simply, uh, is the scale too large for these particular avenues to work for them? The exact point you just made, the scale is too large, particularly the sanctions on the central bank and others. They are very broad, and as such, they're larger than what could be hidden within cryptocurrency. However, as I noted, it is an issue for other types of illicit use, so it's something we're focused on. And Newberg, appreciate that so much. I appreciate you kicking out the hour as well, joining us from the White House tonight. Joining us to talk about the latest crypto surge and how prices may react going forward, let's bring in an expert panel, SkyBridge Capital founder Anthony Scaramucci, uh, Duke Law Professor Lee Reiners, and CoinShares Chief Strategy Officer Meltem Demirs. Good to see you all tonight. Uh, man, what a day, Anthony. I think, I think the Washington Post uh, quoted someone as saying this was the debate America deserves. How important was today? Well, I think this day and October 6th, Carl, of last year were the two seminal days for the uh, American government as it relates to cryptocurrency. And so October 6th, of course, we got the Bitcoin futures. And today we're being told by our government that, uh, frankly, Bitcoin is here to stay uh, and there'll be responsible innovation that will be propitiously regulated by our government. And so you're seeing a lot of short covering today. And you're now starting to see institutions revisit the idea that they need to have a cryptocurrency strategy. Lee, uh, fair to say you're not exactly buying the hype, if today is about hype. Well, listen, I mean, today was undeniably a good day for the cryptocurrency sector. I mean, you can look into prices and, and that tells you all you need to know. I mean, I think the narrative, Carl, leading into today was that, you know, there was going to be a crypto crackdown. I think I talked about it on this program a few months ago. This executive order was a complete 180 from a crypto crackdown. Not only did the White House recognize that crypto was here to stay, but the executive order says that it wants the U.S. to lead when it comes to digital asset innovation. And the purpose is, you know, the EO is to harness the benefits while controlling for the risk. And myself and others would kind of push back on that premise 
and say, well, what are the benefits? And frankly, I see very little, especially when you compare to the clear cost of crypto fueled ransomware attacks and the fact that it's being used to undermine U.S. sanctions, not only in Russia, but also Iran and North Korea. So, Melton, do you think that to the degree this was bullish, was it the byproduct of, I don't know, industry lobbying, of, of the industry being willing to play a little ball with regulators and refrain from throwing uh, political bombs? <laughs> Look, it's uh, it's impossible to assign one specific cause to this, but I do think at the end of the day, if we look at what's unfolded, um, it's been a, a rocky few months for the Biden administration. It's been a rocky few months in American politics. We have midterm elections coming up. And as I've said many times, Bitcoin is a political issue. There are 46 million American adults who own cryptocurrencies. That's a lot of constituents. Um, the government needs to stop treating cryptocurrency owners, cryptocurrency enthusiasts like criminals. Um, I think some of the rhetoric and some of the language even used in the executive order today supposed as a starting point that crypto is facilitating crime without any basis for making that claim. But I think, again, like it's a very important political issue. It's a very important time in this country. It's a very important time for America to assert itself in terms of its role in the technology ecosystem, but also as an exporter of, of culture. And so I think this is a, a great step for um, the, the administration to be taking. I think the tone was measured. I could have seen it being more optimistic around cryptocurrency specifically instead of central bank digital currencies. But all said, I was pleasantly surprised given some of the recent rhetoric we've heard from parts of the administration. Yeah, uh, it's funny, Anthony, right before we came on air, uh, American Bankers Association had a statement. Uh, we are concerned that the EO directly or clearly directs federal agencies to begin pursuing uh, a central bank digital currency, even before determining if a U.S. Uh, CBDC is actually in the national interest. Do you see a lot of pushback coming in the days to come? Well, listen, the old guard is certainly going to push back and people that don't really understand the situation will think it's used for ransomware. But guys like Mike Morrell have proved that it isn't used for ransomware. If anything, it's very easy to detect that. Uh, and But the Banking Association will obviously push back. This is a new era. Uh, remember, the blockchain, Carl, is the delayering mechanism, so it's going to lower the costs of transactions and financial activity. Uh, and for those reasons, of course, they're going to push back. Uh, but it's here to stay. And the good news about this administration is they don't want all of this intellectual capital and cryptocurrency capital to fly out of the country. And mm -hmm. so this is a very good thing for the United States. And this is a beginning, I think, of a great era for cryptocurrencies in the blockchain industry. Yeah. That said, Lee, I know you've drawn attention to uh, the price action relative to the scenarios we've been given, right? I mean, we've got a lot of inflation, a huge geopolitical instability. We're down 40 percent from the highs. Um, why hasn't it reacted? Why has it acted erratically relative to the way we thought it would be a, a store of value or a safe haven when times got crazy? I mean, it's anyone's guess, Carl. I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the thesis behind crypto and Bitcoin in particular for a number of years is that it's some form of digital gold. There will only be 21 million coins ever put into circulation. Therefore, it's a hedge uh, against inflation. It's a hedge against the broader stock market. And as you said, you know, inflation is its highest level in 40 years. And yet crypto is down 40 percent over the past couple of months. Now we have you know, not only war, but we're seeing unprecedented financial sanctions you know, using the U.S. dollar. You would think this would propel crypto's prices higher. 
and it hasn't. And this is, you know, the fundamental challenge with crypto is what is the valuation methodology you apply? There's no there there. There's no cash flow you're discounting, right? We're just, you know, making things up to justify the price. And at the end of the day, you're relying on the greater fool theory. People are buying these things because they think they can sell them to at a higher price to someone else in the future. And at some point, the supply of greater fools is going to run out. No, Mel, Mel my, I know you've got a good rejoinder to that because we've been through this a couple of times. <laughs> Yeah, first of all, look, Bitcoin is not digital gold. That narrative is broken. Bitcoin is so much more. It is a protocol. It is a computation layer. It is a physical network supported by a tremendous amount of highly secure, globally distributed computation powered by a large percentage of renewables. And it's an asset, a unit of account, a medium of exchange. So I think, again, um, you know, it's very short-sighted to say Bitcoin is invaluable just because you can't prescribe a traditional valuation methodology to it. Technology at the end of the day, change, right? It's the only constant in our world. That's what you talk about on this program every every night, right? It's what's changing in markets and how to use an investor adjust to that change. As an investor myself, I would never utilize just a few weeks or a few months of data to make a definitive statement about how an asset is going to react in a certain economic climate. I think, again, it's a couple months into this. We simply don't have enough information to say definitively how Bitcoin will react in different environments. Inflation is a fairly new thing. So again, at CoinShares, what we do is we use facts and data to inform how we approach the market and how we invest. So we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to use facts and data to inform our approach. And so far, that hasn't been wrong. Uh, the secular thesis on Bitcoin still holds. And we're investing with a long-term view that the highs will be higher and the lows will also be higher. Right. Finally, Anthony, I wonder, get the order today, what does it mean for uh, your firm, for VC activity, investment flows, M&A, I don't know, IPOs, once those become available again? It's, it's, it's remarkably bullish. And as I said earlier, uh, the regulatory momentum starting on October 6th is, is gaining momentum. And I would predict, Carl, that we'll have a cash ETF by the end of the year. And, of course, I have a steak dinner bet with Lee, Professor Lee. Uh, I'm going to be ordering some very expensive wine. And if you're not nice to me on the next segment, Melton is going to be invited to the, to the dinner as my guest. I would love that. I'm in. <laughs> you better watch out, man. Two on one could get could get dangerous. The more the uh, he's tough, though. He can handle he can handle two on one, Carl. He, I mean, he he's tough. The barrier, Anthony. That's right. Team. Uh, that's right. Coverage. Uh, Anthony Lee Melton. Appreciate it very much. Important day. Glad we had you here. Uh, we'll see you later. Crypto night's just getting started. Coming up next, the news out of Washington sent Bitcoin prices higher, as you know. But how does one of the biggest names in crypto feel about the government getting involved? FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is going to join us. Plus, is war in Ukraine calling crypto's neutrality into question? We'll find out if the digital currency could be and should be sanction-proof when this CNBC special Crypto Night continues. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. FTX CEO Sam Bankman Fried reacting on Twitter today to the president's executive order on cryptocurrencies. He's long been an advocate for regulation in the space as a constructive EO to discuss customer protection and economic competitiveness in digital assets. He joins us now with more. Sam, good to have you back. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's unclear to me whether or not you think this EO really moves the needle. I don't think it moves the needle that much from where we were before. I think it's more just a reflection of where the administration is than you know anything else, which is to say, there isn't a lot of sort of conclusiveness about where exactly things will end up, but I think there's increasing pressure to get regulatory clarity, to get departments working together on a number of different issues. So you think they felt pressured to say something, anything, and they're going to fill in the cracks later on? I think that's a piece of it. And, and, you know, I think a lot of this is balancing various different viewpoints that, that they're hearing and different things. And I think, you know, when you talk about like illicit finance, you know, they're sort of simultaneously hearing it's really important that there's regulatory oversight to prevent, you know, sanctions, noncompliance, and also hearing from sort of relevant, uh, you know, people that there isn't a lot of sanctions evasions going through digital assets. And I think both of those are true. And I think that sort of led to a somewhat balanced um, and nuanced EO. Yeah. Well, certainly uh, with regard to the Russian-Ukrainian situation, the fact that there have been some positive externalities, and we're going to talk about uh, your philanthropic efforts in a minute, uh, with minimal, at least for now, concerns that this is turning into some kind of malevolent force, uh, crypto finance. I mean, that seems to be a pretty nice setup, wouldn't you say? I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's obviously incumbent on the industry and on regulators to work together to keep that being the case. But I think that's absolutely key that, you know, it's able to help fund humanitarian efforts here while also not being a pathway for evading sanctions. And I think that is what we've seen. Uh, you're the official partner of uh, Aid for Ukraine. I wonder if you can give us the latest. Uh, I mean, I've looked at some fundraising numbers, but I imagine they've got to be larger by now. I, mean, I, I don't know all the sources, obviously, that are that are coming in. There's a few different pathways. I'm guessing we're probably above 100 million in crypto so far. Um, and, uh, you know, more coming in by the day. It's been really exciting to see that happening. And I think, you know, some of that is coming from the crypto community itself. There's been a real outpouring of support. And some of it's just 
come from people looking for some way to be able to help support it. Uh, you're making a push into Europe, uh, FTX Europe. And I wonder what the strategy is there. Uh, obviously, it does make some sense on one level, but there's another school of thought that discretionary income, for example, in the UK is going to be facing some uh, generational headwinds. What, what's your idea? In the end, there's there's only so much we can do to sort of control you know macroeconomic environment, <laughs> and you know we'll we'll have to see what happens, right? This is certainly not what we anticipated. You know, we'd be talking about this time of year, you know, six months ago. But, you know, one way or another, whatever happens there, I think it's really important that we do get licensed and regulated everywhere that we can. And, you know, our big European rollout with, with uh, you know, cross-continent licensing is a big piece of that. Um, we talked in our prior segment about the price action, uh, specifically today, uh, in the wake of this executive order. And I wonder if you think it's related to just this idea that got baked in that somehow um, any kind of regulatory framework was going to be worst case. Uh, there's going to be name calling. It was going to be echoing what we've heard from some, at least some regulators at the SEC. And then there was a relief when that apparently didn't happen. How do you think, how would you characterize sentiment now versus 24 hours ago? It's fairly accurate. I think there are a lot of people, I mean, you saw when sort of it, the announcement came that it was going to come out this week, there's a lot of worry in the crypto community that this was going to be a really unreasonable and sort of heavy-handed executive order trying to effectively ban digital assets. And that's not at all what it was. It was a completely reasonable um, you know, approach to it that sort of laid out important considerations and, you know, task people with coming up with constructive solutions for it. Now, I think that was sort of always what it was going to be. I don't think that this was sort of trending towards a particularly ideological executive order at any point in time. But, but I'm guessing that a lot of people in the community sort of thought that maybe it would be. And I do think they're really relieved to see something that felt uh, completely reasonable. So what are you looking for to happen next? Are you looking for more clarity uh, within the elements of this, this executive order? Do you think it's going to be more about international regulators sort of uh, matching service or something else? I think it's going to be, if I had to guess, I would guess that the U.S. is going to play a big role in this over the next year. I think there's sort of three core areas that we're looking at, and I think the executive order touched on these. Um, I also think that separately agencies are working on them. One of them is stablecoin oversight, coming up with an auditing framework for them. A second is markets regulation, especially when it comes to spot commodity transactions, You know, mm. who is the primary markets regulator for digital assets. And the third is token registration. What is the analog of a you know typical equity securities registration for a wide variety of digital assets? Those are kind of the three biggest things that we have our eyes on in the United States over the next year. Yeah. Once we get movement on that, then we're then we will be cooking with gas. Uh, Sam, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. Sam Bankman-Fried. Coming up, as tensions escalate and Russia becomes more isolated, is crypto helping the Kremlin find ways around the ever-increasing sanctions? We're going to talk to a former economic and counterterrorism CIA analyst, plus how one tech founder turned to digital currencies to help his war-torn homeland of Ukraine. The CNBC special Crypto Night is back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Crypto is a critical piece of holding Russia accountable for its aggression. We can't fool around any longer. We need to get new crypto rules in place. That was Senator Warren last week suggesting that crypto takes the sting out of sanctions in Russia. So how much do digital currencies allow Russia to evade international accountability and what can be done about it? Here to help us break it down, shed some light on today's executive order as well, Yaya Fanuzi, former economic analyst at the CIA, Alex Zerdin, founder of digital asset advisory firm Capital Peak Strategies, and Michelle Bond, the CEO of Association for Digital Asset Markets. It's great to have you tonight. Thanks for the time. Yeah, yeah, I wonder, can you give us your best read right now about just how easy this would be or is for Russia to evade sanctions? Because Senator Warren's clearly worried, uh, but a lot of what we've heard is that it's simply not workable at that scale. I think that's right. I mean, you just said, would it take the sting out of Russian sanctions? And I think the short answer is no. You know, the crypto uh, uh, market is not sizable enough uh, to offset whatever Russia could uh, is going to lose or is losing via sanctions. So really, the key is not really large scale sanctions evasion through crypto, but the potential for actors that are trying to move money, uh, sanctioned Russian actors and entities uh, to possibly, you know, move small amounts of money. And I think that's what Treasury is looking at. I think that's what the U.S. is uh, reminding exchanges to keep there uh, to, to look out for. Small scale, a suspicious activity that could be linked to Russian entities. Huh. Michelle, so is that is it worth it to, to put a policy move on that and try to clamp it down, even though it may not be the worst case scenario? So, look, I think this is something a lot of Washington is talking about. It's not just Elizabeth uh, Warren, but certainly we have seen the tweets, the letters, the media stories coming from Senator Warren about this issue, it actually doesn't track what both Treasury and the NS and NSC have said. They've both relayed that it would be difficult to nearly impossible um, for a state the size of Russia to use crypto to evade sanctions. So I think the broader worry is that sanctioned individuals such as an oligarch could use crypto on a personal level to evade sanctions. And that's why we are working on so many um, different partnerships with the U.S. government to identify assets of sanctioned individuals, and that's what's going to be key. Um, there are so many ways that crypto can monitor illicit activity through Know Your Customer, geolocation monitoring, transaction monitoring, on-chain analytics, um, which obviously you can't do with cash, and different fiat controls. So I think it would be very, very difficult um, to, to evade sanctions um, using, utilizing crypto, given the, the advantages of the blockchain. Yeah. You know, Alex, I wonder, you know, we've been talking a lot about, um, for example, consumer products companies who have been under pressure to pull out of Russia. Uh, some of them say, look, we, we need to sell baby formula and, and essentials to customers in Russia because uh, the regular people, they might be opposed to the war. Um, they need access to those things. Does that apply to, to crypto where at least they have some, as Coinbase would argue, access to basic financial services? Yeah, thank you. So, Sanctions are a floor. They're absolutely not a ceiling. And I think it's been resounding how U.S.-based companies have been responding to sanctions against Russia, but then also going above and beyond 
to withdraw business activities in the country. So the question, the, the administration is really trying to strike a fine balance between taking aggressive economic measures against the Russian regime, against the Russian military and military industrial complex, while not hurting everyday Russian civilians. And this is a really tough balance. For instance, when you take sanctions against Sparebank, one of the largest banks in Russia with a number of retail deposits. And so this is the, the policy tension that is currently unfolding right now. But I think there is going to be a lot of harm wrought upon the uh, Russian civilians as a result of the decision by Vladimir Putin. Yeah. 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 One thing that uh, is, is getting a lot of attention, uh, particularly today, was this idea of a strategic convergence between Russia and China on things like commodity trade and flows of that nature. Um, I wonder, how does that apply to crypto, if at all? If they're denied access uh, from things that might be U.S. based, can they make up for it in other parts of the world? Well, you know, that's going to be very difficult. I mean, you mentioned China and, you know, China is actually known for not having a very hospitable and robust crypto market right now. Right. I mean, <laughs> uh, digital, the digital currency is for them is, is, is the Chinese digital currency, the state di digital currency. So I don't think you would see that in the short term. But I would say uh, we've been watching actually for the past few years that sanctioned states have actually shown an interest in creating alternative uh, financial payment uh, um, channels and markets, some of it based on uh, blockchain experimentation, coming up with a digital currency. We've seen this from Iran to Venezuela. Um, and of course, China, as well as an adversary, is, is developing its own digital currency. So there's more maybe a long-term concern there that um, you know a, a region, a, a jurisdiction like China could try to collaborate. But in the short term, I mean, the stakes are really just too high. I think there's global, um, it's almost unanimous, right? Globally, um, the pressure that's being put on on most states to not cooperate with, uh, with an alternative for Russia. So I think that would be very difficult in the short term. Right. I wonder, uh, Michelle, net-net, if, if the whole situation ends up being um, inflammatory or, I guess, gives innovation in crypto a bit of a tailwind, uh, because you do have some players that are having to cover for scenarios we hadn't yet really considered. Yeah, so I think, I mean, looking at Ukraine as an example, I mean, that's obviously top of mind for everyone right now. And it's, an, it's a perfect example because the industry has raised an incredible amount of money to support the Ukrainian people. And that has been through the direct channels that are provided by crypto. And it shows that the technologies just have an incredible ability to gather disparate groups of people toward a single cause. And I think it shows how um, the government, you know, the U.S. government is also, you know, working with international working groups. Um, the U.S. government is, is tracking sanctions compliance. The industry is also, I mean, we're seeing all, all of these um, different players in the industry talking about how they're supporting these efforts. My organization, we just st stood up a national security working group to work with law enforcement, regulators, legislators on these initiatives. And I think all good will come out of it. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating, Alex. I mean, we we've talked so much about social media and the ability to see pictures instantly that work around uh, state sponsored uh, uh, media and state TV. I mean, the ability to crowdsource funds for uh, for Ukrainians, it, it's it's short. It's nothing short of astounding. And I, it's just we've never seen geopolitical turmoil that's had this kind of uh, avenue open up to it. That's right. We're absolutely in a moment and it, the crypto community is stepping up to the moment. And I really hope that the, that momentum continues, particularly in the humanitarian response. There are so many compelling use cases 
for humanitarian purposes to help those, particularly the two million refugees who are in Poland right now, may not have been able to take their bank accounts with them um, from Ukraine. And so I think there's so many ways that the crypto community can meet this moment and really show the power, the full power of cryptocurrencies to help those in need at this time. So if you were to sum up, uh, Yaya, the whole situation as we know it so far, and obviously everything is so fluid, um, the involvement of crypto in this entire situation, uh, at this point, does the promise outweigh the peril, so to speak? Well, I think what, what, where we're at is that we're in a different moment now, I think that, like Alex said, where we see that digital money now can have different formats. So in times of war, in times of crisis, uh, cryptocurrencies actually fulfill a really important use case. I think, I think we're at a moment of where digital assets have grown up. It's not really promise or peril. It's promise and it's peril. So I think, <laughs> you know, I think that, I think that that's what the, what the, even what the White House was saying today, right? I mean, we need a strategy on digital assets. It's all, not all illicit. It's not at all negative. Um, some of it is, is promise in terms of the innovation. And I think that's what's ahead of us today. Alex, uh, Yaya and Michelle, appreciate that very much. Good discussion on a really, com really complicated issue. Uh, thanks so much. We're just past the bottom of the hour. Let's get you up to speed on the latest action in the crypto space. Bitcoin, Ether, Solana, all posting some nice gains today. As for stocks, big rally on Wall Street. The Dow closing higher by more than 650 points. NASDAQ gains more than 3.5%. Oil and other commodities tumble, which does ease some pressure on stocks. Checking where futures are standing right now. Pretty thin trading, obviously, at this hour. But here's a look at some of the action. Coming up, how one founder is using crypto to raise money for Ukraine. Ukrainian soldiers facing down the Russian army. And with cryptocurrencies heading higher today, we'll find out how to get in on the digital currency without actually buying in. Welcome back to Crypto Night in America. Amid the war in Ukraine, crypto investors are stepping up to aid displaced Ukrainians. Nearly $100 million in crypto have so far been raised for Ukraine, and there's a new crowdfunding tactic contributing to the cause. Let's bring in Sergey Vasilchuk, founder and CEO of Everstake, and Austin Federa, head of communications at Solana Labs, to learn more about what they're doing to help. Sergey, Austin, appreciate your time tonight. Good to see you. You too. Yeah, so hi, guys. Uh, Walk me through what exactly is happening, uh, how much of a difference is it making, and, and how much of a game changer is it relative to what we thought we were going to be handed in this uh, god-awful situation? Well, like, it, it was start just as, uh, like, attempt to help somehow, because, like, many of the people who are IT guys, like, are not fighting, like, they, like, probably feel helpless. So they just try to do something that they are used to doing their best in, so, like, many of the groups start to gather some donation in the crypto in those segments that are skilled in. And, uh, yeah, you're right. So far, it's close to uh, 100 mils totally from the, all the coins and chase are gathered together. So, and 100 mils is, is already in, in powerful. So, 100 mils is something that the government could, for example, uh, buy a jet fighter or something like uh, equipment to protect our sky. So I believe it's already impactful. No one believed that it could, but never underestimate of the small group of the people to commit to change the world and protect their home.
That's yeah, exactly what they're doing. Austin, was this, is this a heavy lift or is this something that is, uh, that is completely organic and, and surprising even the industry and yourselves? Yeah, you know, this is in some ways the kind of transaction that blockchain was built to facilitate. So if you look at something like the Aid for Ukraine project, um, it's a it's a DAO. So that means it's a it's a wallet and an account controlled by five people. Everstake and Sergey is one of them. And anyone around the world can donate to that. And from there, you see full tracing and auditability of funds. Um, and, you know, in this case, the government of Ukraine has largely requested, uh, you know, U.S. dollars transferred in via the SWIFT banking system. So in this case, Aid for Ukraine is working with FTX to sell those crypto assets, convert them to dollars and deposit them. But one of the great parts about the flexibility of doing this through a DAO and on the blockchain is if a vendor is happy to take crypto as a, or a stable coin as opposed to traditional U.S. dollars, um, the DAO has the flexibility to do that. And those funds will be deposited in seconds. That's amazing. And, and Sergey, it's going to um, materials and services like what? How, how are people feeling this on the ground? Well, like it's now it feels amazing, but like it had a lot of problem before. So you should understand that why crypto is here because Ukraine has the martial law right now, and the bank and commercial banks are not able to transfer the crypto uh, to transfer the like USD or like foreign currency. So that's why like the crypto is the only way to transact for the small volunteers and the group who are want to to help uh, the country. Uh, why we involved here the the big guys like FTX and Central Bank because only Central Bank can uh, transact in the USDT, and uh, that's why like the Ministry of Defense and the Ministry of the Social Politic are open their accounts like donation accounts in the Central Bank, and FTX help us to like transfer this crypto to directly to those accounts, and the beauty and the impact of this that like any crypto holder right now can donate like $1, $1 million, or like $10 million to this DAO and be sure that it will be deposited directly to the government account. So like anyone like on the world could like put impact just with $1. And I encourage you guys like to do it and help us. Now, we hope that uh, this helps uh, th that process just in, in our viewers uh, getting their attention. Austin, I wonder, are governments doing enough? Could they be doing more? And do you see this uh, potentially building bridges between maybe disparate parts of the industry that are finding ways to cooperate in the midst of crisis? Yeah, you know, the, the blockchain industry and, and Web3 in general, it's a fairly collaborative space. It, it's such a new and emerging space that, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of competition between different protocols. But on <laughs> something like this, you've really seen the global community come together and, and in this case, donate and support the, the people of Ukraine. And I think that's really where you're seeing a lot of um, both collaboration and just like progress being made here. And, you know, so, Ukraine also, they have a pretty special place. Uh, a lot of blockchain developers have come out of Ukraine and a lot of blockchain companies have Ukrainian founders. Um, and it's a really important place for the tech industry in general. So I think there's just a lot of like communications and, and goodwill that's been built up over the last, you know, 20 years between between Ukraine and, and especially companies in the United States. And we're seeing you know, what that means when they get in a crisis situation. Yeah, that's hugely important. Um, Sergey, we're all praying that uh, maybe tomorrow in this foreign minister meeting, maybe some other meeting, that there's a way to get a ceasefire going and start some kind of diplomatic avenue to a, a resolution. But I have to imagine that this method of, of, uh, of crowdfunding and raising support isn't going to end there, uh, even as Ukraine, we hope, starts a long process of uh, repairing and rebuilding, right? 
Well, like, I don't even thought about those times that we'll start to repair and, like, about the money. So uh, we'll find the way to rebuild our home. Like, I cannot doubt. For right now, we just, it's, it's emergency, like, it's, it's a tragedy. So, and we have no time. Like, we cannot just, like, wait. So I was just freezing for the two days, but then I start to act. And, like, every for the Ukrainian tried to act. So the beauty here of this solution that we can impact right now. Not tomorrow, not face somebody. While we're waiting somebody to help us, we just do all the best. And uh, I'm really proud that I'm in this domain and to be the Ukrainian and to be able to impact somehow. Our thoughts remain uh, with the country, everyone there uh, in crisis. And our thanks to you, Sergei and Austin. Appreciate it very much. Uh, thanks. Coming up tonight, check out this chart of MicroStrategy soaring Thank today along with the broader crypto market. We're going to break down the best way to play the crypto craze without owning any digital tokens. And investing in crypto, we'll discuss what you need to know when it comes to filing your taxes the right way when Crypto Night in America continues. Welcome back. A big day on Wall Street as stocks soared and commodities came back to earth. And the action didn't stop with the closing bell. A short time ago, Amazon announcing this 20-for-1 stock split and a $10 billion buyback, sending that stock sharply higher after hours. Also saw big gains today for crypto and the stocks related to it. Let's bring in Kate Rooney for more. Hey, Kate. Hey, Carl. We're calling this the crypto complex. So digital assets and crypto-related stocks all higher after the White House executive order. The tone from the Biden administration appeared to be more supportive than a lot of people I'm talking to expected. The industry didn't take this as an overreach, and Bitcoin is up big as a result. That tends to lift the rest of the crypto sector. Prices had spiked last night after Treasury accidentally put out a statement calling the EO historic and releasing some of the details ahead of time. That statement was quickly deleted, but it did boost prices in the meantime. And despite a momentary decoupling last week. Cryptocurrencies have still been closely correlated to tech stocks. A move in the Nasdaq today also bodes well for Bitcoin. We've also got Ether, XRP, Solana, some of those smaller cryptocurrencies following Bitcoin higher as well. Then you've got the largest crypto exchange in the U.S., Coinbase. That stock up double digits today, Block and MicroStrategy as well. Those two companies hold crypto on their balance sheets and are getting a bid with the broader tech sector. Finally, guys, take a look at the crypto mining stocks. These are the companies running those high-powered computers to create new Bitcoin. They've had a pretty tough year so far, but not today. Marathon Digital was up more than 14% on Wednesday. Riot Blockchain up more than 11%. Back to you, Carl. You know, Kate, it strikes me a couple of weeks ago we were talking about uh, Sotheby's canceling an NFT auction and lack of interest and whether or not we were going to see sort of people just get bored with it. Uh, and then this, uh, this EO comes along and sort of reinvigorates interest. And I guess to be fair to a lot of technicians, some of those levels that were violated in years prior have been pretty sturdy here. It's so interesting. This market does tend to be so sentiment driven. So something like an executive order and like friendly regulation, or at least the idea that the industry won't be banned, can really turn around sentiment 
And you've got that on the retail trading side. And so far in 2022, there just has not been as much interest as we saw during the pandemic. You can measure that by something called new addresses. It's just been pretty stagnant. So there haven't been a lot of new investors. A lot of investors have been underwater at these prices, so have sold and kind of gotten out of the market. So it has been sort of hanging in the balance. Sentiment is really important. And then you've got things like derivatives, like you mentioned, some of those technical levels get breached. And then you see so this sort of cascade of selling and a lot of volatility. Uh, but news like this and things like today are really big in terms of the new buyers who might say, OK, this this asset class is looking to be legitimate and it may get in and hold for the long term versus try to make a quick trade and make a quick buck. Yeah. And we'll see if more institutions come up with uh, more tools. A couple headlines on the tape regarding that tonight. Kate, thanks. Uh, Kate Rooney. Still to come tonight, crypto transactions holding you back from filing your taxes on time. Our next guest has a solution for that. And of course, stay tuned for the news with Shepard Smith beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Crypto Night in America. Now the crypto market is notorious for being uncertain, but one thing's always certain, taxes. But knowing how to pay them isn't so easy if you've done crypto transactions. Cointracker is announcing today a partnership with TurboTax to help. And joining us now for more on the offering is Cointracker's co-founder, Chandan Loda. Chandan, appreciate the time tonight. Talk to me about the tools because uh, we thought tax filing was complicated before. It's a lot more complicated now. That's absolutely right. We've seen more and more users get into the cryptocurrency space. And uh, TurboTax today announced that between the 2019 and the 2020 tax years, they saw more than three times more TurboTax users with cryptocurrency transactions. So given the increase in complexity that we're seeing there, Cointracker has now partnered with TurboTax to help those users seamlessly get all of their cryptocurrency transactions into TurboTax so they can seamlessly get their taxes filed. It's easy. It's simple. It's accurate. Right. What's the most potent tool here? Is it the ability to import a lot at once? Is it about a a tax calculator uh, that looks at sort of where you've been through the course of the year? Walk me through some of those specifics. Absolutely. It's basically about giving users and taxpayers the peace of mind that they can get their crypto taxes done simply, easily, and accurately. So, for example, with a new deeper partnership that Cointracker now has with TurboTax, there's no more CSV uploads or manual data entry. You can automatically import thousands of transactions from 14 of the top cryptocurrency exchanges, including Coinbase Pro, Binance US, FTX US. Uh, Gemini and, and a bunch of other ones. And all of those transactions seamlessly get pulled from Cointracker into your TurboTax filing so you can file along with the rest of your filing. And for users who are doing more complicated things, for example, we've seen the rise of non-fungible tokens, NFTs, and decentralized finance activity. Those types of users can use the full Cointracker product to seamlessly reconcile all that activity and, again, get it imported into TurboTax and have the peace of mind that their taxes are done accurately and correctly. What kind of grade would you give uh, the IRS at this point in incorporating uh, these kinds of, uh, of for- forms of income into, into filing? Well, the IRS first released their guidance around cryptocurrency in 2014, and that covered that cryptocurrency is taxed like property. That covered the basics. What we've seen now in recent years is the growth of these more complicated use cases, things like DeFi, things like staking and lending. We're now seeing users use NFTs. 
those are the newer sort of emerging areas where there hasn't been full guidance yet released. And so what we're working on is extrapolating the best principles that we can from the guidance that we have and trying to make it easy for users to follow that guidance. Before we let you go, do you think there's any way to ever do this manually again? I don't think users are going to want to do this manually ever again. <laughs> Coin Tracker makes it simple. We want to make it uh, you know, hassle-free for everyone. Yeah, it does seem like if you are going to be doing something like that, you're taking uh, your life in your hands. One last thing. Is it, would you argue that NFTs are any more complicated than straight crypto holdings? The, the complication with NFTs is that you might not always have a liquid price history, right? They're not as commonly, you know, you know one NFT isn't going to have the same liquidity as a fungible token like Bitcoin. So again, right. using tools like Cointracker can help make that process much more seamless. Trandon Loda, thank you so much. We'll be glad Thanks when this tax season me. is over. Uh, before we wrap up Crypto Night, let's talk one more. Uh, take one more look at where cryptocurrencies are right now. Big driver for the gains today, of course, that White House executive order focused on cryptocurrencies. And we heard from Ann Neuberger, who told us the administration's goal is to balance the risks of crypto, but still encourage innovation. And Sang Bankman fried of FTX, one of the biggest crypto exchanges, telling us regulatory oversight is necessary. He calls the EO, EO balanced and nuanced. That's all for us tonight on this Crypto Night in America. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 